0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial and the co-host of the Michelle Miao Show at the club. We hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. and We look forward to seeing you in person one day again at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. But until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 320 online programs the club has produced in the past eight months. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as podcasts and video from our past programs, as well as how you can help support our program production at CommonwealthClub.org. Now, I'm pleased to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the producer and host of The Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle.
1: Good to see you, John. I miss you and I miss all of everyone who's been to the club. If you're joining us for the first time and being introduced to The Michelle Miao Show, well, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Our special guest today is a 28-year-old Asian American son of immigrants who defeated a leader of the Hawaii chapter of the Proud Boys, a far-right extremist group, to become the only openly LGBTQ person in Hawaii's legislature. Let's welcome Representative Adrian Tam. Adrian, welcome.
2: Hi, right, thank you, John. Thank you, Michelle. And, you know, thank you to the Commonwealth Club for having me today and aloha.
1: <laughs> aloha. How does that feel to be called Representative Adrian Tam or Representative Tam? Does it? Do you feel any different when people call you that?
2: I'm still trying to get used to it. Um, in the past, people have just called me Adrian. And especially in this building because, you know, I was a staff member here. So when I walk around the halls and I see my former colleagues calling me rep, it does feel a bit weird. And I always t- kind of remind them to just you know you can call me Adrian. Um, rep isn't on my birth certificate, so.
1: <laughs> John.
0: Well, I mean, let's kind of get into this, uh, and and how did you get to where you are now? And because you of course had a, a an election campaign that was that like, got quite a bit of attention because of both yourself and because of your opponent um, so take us back to okay you're you're working in the, in the legislature as a staffer why did you decide to run because you took on a, a an incumbent uh, Democrat for that seat am I correct um, so what made you do you decide to run for office and to run for that office
2: there are a lot of things that made me decide to run uh, particularly it was because I didn't see anything changing And I didn't see that, you know, things were moving. We had a lot of representatives and senators that are in this position simply because they just want to be a representative or a senator. And as a result, a lot of good legislation is, you know, put at the end of the pile and it wasn't touched. And I said, you know, that's not right. So I decided to take a risk at a great cost because um, the person that I was challenging was someone that was here for 14 years. He had a lot of connections and he was well liked by um, the members in this building. But I told myself, you know, would I forgive myself if I didn't try? I said that, yes, I was nervous that, you know, This is a scary thing to do. I'm putting myself out there. You don't know what people are going to say about you. You don't know what people are going to dig up on you. But I said I'm not afraid because I'm more afraid of what happens if nothing gets done. If we don't tackle climate change, we don't tackle our housing shortage, and we don't try to make the cost of living lower so that people can live here without struggling with two or three jobs. So, I immediately pulled papers. um, And they said, because I pulled papers, I had to, you know, I was intending on running. So I had to basically leave as a staffer.
1: What what do you think were some of the uh, points you made, you know, running against, like you had mentioned, a strong incumbent, um, first of all, before we even talk about the Republican candidate? What do you think were some of those strong points? What what was successful about your campaign that people were listening to that they may have, you know, felt inspired by, for example, feeling like we we should have change, we need change?
2: You know, I told a lot of people that um, it is time for change. It is time for new leadership. And during the campaign, when we started this campaign, the pandemic started as well. So just my luck, right? But... I kind of reworked our message to try to make it work with the pandemic and it stayed the same which is we're not going to get new ideas and new innovative thinking without new leadership and this pandemic I'd like to see it as a glass half full kind of thing where we do get a chance to reset our government and reform our government so that it finally works for everyone and That resonated with people, Um, but another thing that resonated with people was that they were just eager to see someone else running for a chance because the incumbent hasn't been challenged in many election cycles. He's often gone unopposed. He will face a Republican challenger, but um, the district is very heavily Democratic.
0: Do you think, I mean, every election is, is different, of course. Do you think you were helped or hurt, or no not necessarily uh, uh, connection by the fact that you ran in 2020, you know, a year when obviously there was a lot nationally going on? I don't know all the particular trends and, and, and such in, in Hawaii, but I mean, how do you think you performed this year, say, instead of if you were, you know, same age and experience, or whatever, trying to run in 2016 or 2018?
2: You know, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of things in this year that worked in my favor, such as um, I have a a little bit more experience under my belt from working in the private sector and working in the public sector at the same time. But there were things in 2018 that would have helped me too. In 2018, I think that it was easier to go door to door. Um, There wasn't a pandemic, and there was still a need for change so you know I don't know but I tried to make the best of what I had this year and I told myself and a lot of you have told me that you know especially my family which is if I didn't work hard or work smart I would have lost the election so
1: Let's talk about the Republican candidate that you ran against. And uh, gosh, you know, I mean, I am as a queer woman myself and of color and a daughter of immigrants. I'm so, so proud that we have someone like you to represent, you know, folks who have values that we care about. But um, Nick Oakes, you know, not just a leader of the local Hawaii chapter of Proud Boys, but (laughs) a founder and so if, if many of you, if you don't know, you know, what the Proud Boys stand for, but we had mentioned it, you know, very right wing extremist group, for yourself to be out, to, to be immigrant, you know, to be of color. I mean, these are a, a lot of identities that uh, tends to, I, I think, be used uh, against us in these identity politics or cultural wars, especially when you're running for election. Were you intimidated at all, you know, running against uh, Nick Oaks? And also, especially during COVID-19, this pandemic, and lots of people being pushed online um, by misinformation, disinformation, and, and, you know, all this stuff, all the hateful speech that makes it out there or stand out. Would love to hear kind of what that experience was like for you.
2: Well, you know, Of course, I was definitely concerned. I wasn't scared, but I was concerned for my supporters and um, my constituency who do support me. Many of them sport my t-shirts. They wear our face masks around the district. And I was generally afraid that they might run into Proud Boys or someone that could incite some kind of violence. So I made a note to them that you know if they're gonna go out and wear my T-shirts, you know, wear them during the day where it's pretty light out, bright outside, and there are a lot of foot traffic. And if you're gonna wear it at night, be sure to go to the gym. You know, we definitely saw a lot, a presence of the um, of uh, the Donald Trump supporters in Hawaii this year. Uh, there were a lot of caravans. I think that, in, and this was more than in 2016, and I, th- I think the reason why is because in 2016, they were always Trump supporters. They just didn't want to openly say it. And because he won, it gave them some kind of legitimacy to come out and do these caravans route. Um it It was a challenge to campaign against Nick Oates because we, the Republican Party every year has always put up some candidate that is a bit extreme, but I don't compare Nick Oates to any of those candidates because I think that his type of right-wing extremism is like sort of the Indiana um, or like the red states kind of right-wing extremism that doesn't fit well here in Hawaii which is predominantly Asian Americans and is a solid blue state. So my team and I we kind of sat down and we had to talk about you know how we were going to approach this and we came up to the conclusion that you know how we're going to approach this is that we're not going to give him any media attention. We're not going to you know give him a spotlight or a platform because after I won our the primary, I became sort of the new shiny object and there, i got been meeting with a lot of people, many people wanted to meet with me, many people wanted to talk to me, um, many people wanted to interview me and I was all over the news and I think my campaign manager put it best which was, you know, don't let this guy ride your coattails.
0: We've got uh, some questions coming in from the audience and a couple of them are on the issue of sexual orientation. One person writes, I hope we can get to a time and place that sexual orientation is no longer even of note, but that may be in the distant future. Someone else congratulates you on your successful campaign and adds, I am curious what sort of, if any, homophobic attacks you had to deal with during your campaign and how did you deal with them?
2: Thank you for that question. Um, So the homophobic attacks that came was through Twitter, mostly. I, like many others, have put my pronouns in my on Twitter bio, he, him, his. And, you know, to me, no big deal. I can take it off. Sure. But I kept it there because I wanted people to know that I am someone that they can talk to. And they can be themselves with. So the Republican Party and my opponent, you know, went after me for that, saying that, you know, I am out of touch with the district. The district doesn't care about pronouns. They care about Antifa. So those are the the extent of the attacks. The reason why I don't think they truly went after me for anything else is because my district is very predominantly um, liberal and there are many businesses that are owned by LGBT uh, people in our district and and we have many LGBT residents as well so um, we have several gay owned businesses like Bacchus and Hula's there so I think that if they attack me on my sexuality I think that it would not have gone well for
1: them. I love that. It wouldn't have, it won't. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let's talk about, you know, District 22, which includes Waikiki, uh, you know, big tourism dollars, obviously impacted by COVID-19. And, you know, everyone's talking about it, especially here in this country. I mean, what are we going to do? I, I think that you'd mentioned earlier in an interview or an article in um, having some plans, you know, drumming up local, Dollars to kind of offset the lost dollars in the economy. The Republican candidate Nick Oakes talked about, you know, not really believing in COVID nineteen and that you know we shouldn't be in this kind of a lockdown and uh, uh, businesses should be open, uh, tourism should be open. Um, well, he lost. So, would like to hear your thoughts on you know the pandemic, how it's impacted District Twenty Two, tourism dollars, and your plans.
2: Yes, so when the, when the pandemic happened, we shut down everything. We implemented a 14-day quarantine for anyone flying into Hawaii. Right now we have a new pre-testing program where if you wanna to fly to Hawaii, you take a um, COVID-19 test three days beforehand and uploaded that to our website and you'll get a QR code once it's negative and you can get through and bypass the quarantine process altogether. So we made significant process in trying to, you know, revamp our tourism in Hawaii. However, uh, at the beginning of the campaign, we kind of, a lot of us were woken up that, you know, so tourism is not sustainable. It's not a sustainable economy. The three economies that hold up Hawaii is tourism, um, construction, and our military. And I compare it to a three-legged bar stool. You know, when one of those legs is gone, doesn't become a stool anymore. You can't sit on it. So my big plans involve diversifying our economy. We've talked about diversifying our economy for a very long time. We just never had the willpower to do it. And people have always said that, you know, it takes time, yada, 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 yada. But I'm hoping that this upcoming legislative session, we can finally have those tough conversations of how we're going to do it. Many people have talked about sustainable agriculture as being something that we would, um, you know, move into for our new economy. But one of the things that I wanted to look into is green tech. I wanted our university to research green technology, such as green infrastructure, smart grids, hydropower, all of it, and make that widely available for any business or entity that wants to use it, so long as they A operate out of Hawaii, or B, they would, and and B, they would hire a quota of the local workforce here. It would create jobs, it would create a new sustainable economy, and it will help us meet our clean energy goals by 2045, which we set into law back in 2013, I think. So those are just one of the plans that I'm um, introducing. Another thing that we're facing is a $2.3 billion shortfall in our budget. So prior to this pandemic, we were in the green and now we're in the red by a lot. And it looks like that it's going to grow in the upcoming years ahead because we still have to keep our government running. We can't just, you know, cut services altogether. We need to keep it going. So our deficit is going to be higher than expected in the upcoming years. I told my um, district that I was not going to support any tax increase or new taxes on them. However, I do want to look into the idea of taxation of real estate investment trusts to implementing a visitor's fee of a flat rate for every visitor. In 2019, we brought in 10.4 million tourists to our islands, and if Um, each one of those visitors paid five dollars, that would be around over 50 million dollars for our economy that doesn't have to come from our taxpayers. So the ideas are there and it goes back to what I'm saying, you know, we're not going to change our economy, we're not going to reform our economy if we keep electing the same people over and over again with these outdated um, perceptions and,
0: you know, who aren't thinking innovatively on how we're going to fix our economy. Uh, along the same lines of the economy, I mean, I, I assume like here, I mean, we're witnessing practically an apocalypse for small businesses, you know, especially restaurants and, and retail shops. Um, every time we just start easing up the rules on things, they, they have to shut them down again. And it's it's obviously, it's hurting employees. It's, it's you know, it's wiping out some small business people. Um, I assume that's a similar situation across the country where they're doing uh, COVID restrictions. Um, any thoughts on, on what states can do and, and, and any plans you might have to be able to um, help out small businesses? I mean, here in San Francisco, there are 94% of the businesses in the city and they're really hurting.
2: Yes. So we have a lot of CARES Act money that needs to be spent. And, you know, I really do feel for our businesses, it's really it's really unreasonable and harmful for them just to open back up, shut back down, open back up, shut back down. So one of the things that I will be introducing is a um, tax penalty amnesty bill. So if you owe any late taxes between the year of 2015 and 2020, um, the tax department will waive any late fees that you've incurred to encourage you to just pay it off and settle any debt that you have to the government. And, um, someone already, when I mentioned it to someone, someone said, you know, but wouldn't that be lost revenue? And I said, well, it wouldn't be lost revenue because we don't have that revenue because it's not in our pockets. So that's something that I wanted to pass. Um, I do want to also, Try to get more CARES Act funding to them. We also need CARES Act funding for our unemployed as well. But I understand that businesses are equally as important because many of them, you know, they have to pay for their family-owned businesses that they have to pay for their own healthcare and their children's healthcare as well.
1: I wanted to hear your thoughts on the campaign of, of luring, <laughs> I should say. Um, people to move to Hawaii. And, and you know, it's, it's not a, a big enticement. Like you don't have to pull a lot of people's fingers for them to go. As I was reading an article, a lot of folks from the San Francisco Bay area who have jobs, work from home jobs and income are moving to Hawaii are, you know, looking into buying homes in Hawaii if they are to work remotely for a while. Uh, so I wanted to hear what you thought about that plan.
2: Um, I have a lot of mixed feelings about those plans. I, you know, I'm in a way it does help our economy where, you know, we have more people here to stimulate our economy and if they're buying, um, that's cool, I guess. But I, I want to remind everyone that Hawaii has a housing shortage where we can't even house our local people and we have a high unemployment rate. Where you know there are many people who wish they had the um, privilege of having a job during a pandemic. So those are the two biggest concerns that I have with those things. And you know, you sh- if you're gonna come to Hawaii to work, at least you know if you're gonna do that, learn about Hawaii, and try to sell roots here if you're going to do that plan to don't just move back once the pandemic is over. You know, I mentioned this to another person, you know, it's really, it could be unfair in a way that many people are coming to Hawaii and they're not paying a tourism tax because they're not staying at a hotel. They are not paying an income tax because they're working from home to a business that is outside of Hawaii. And if they're renting, they're not paying property taxes, and most they're paying our general excise tax, but at the same time when they're here, they're using our roads, they're using our parks, they're using our beaches, which many people in Hawaii are struggling, who are struggling, are forking out their money to maintain so that they could use. So, you know, if it was me, I would tell them, please work from home in San Francisco if you're going to come to Hawaii make sure that you have ties here in Hawaii don't just buy out of a housing shortage
0: Uh, I know when following Congress every year we have the new class come in and there's the the fight and struggle for which committee assignments people get Um, obviously hoping to get things that are kind of their signature issues where they can do something Um, how is it in Hawaii and have you already been assigned to committees or, and if not, which ones, or which ones have you been assigned to, or which ones do you hope to be assigned to so you can do stuff? So I am going to be assigned
2: to culture, the arts and international affairs. And I will be the vice chair of the health human services and homelessness committee. Mm -hmm. So, um, homelessness is one of the biggest issues in my district because it happens to be um, very dense and it goes back to the fact that we have a housing shortage. Uh, There's a study that says that we needed 65,000 units by 2025 to meet our demand and we are nowhere close to that. So I will be the vice chair of that committee. and I am very fortunate to be on the um, finance committee, which is kind of like the you know Senate Appropriations Committee in the United States Senate that deals with all the money. And the reason why I wanted to be on that committee was not just so I can advocate for my district, but to also learn the budget and to you know, understand the two. Being an elected official, it's a learning process every single day. You can be here for 40 years and you'd learn something new um, the next day you go to work. And I just want to be knowledgeable as I can, learn as much as I can so that I can be a better representative for the district that I'm representing. Uh,
1: on those lines, um, any one in particular you're excited about, you know, working with coming up uh, in, the, in the new year?
2: Any person I'm excited about working with?
1: Yeah, any, any individual, any folks that you uh, might be, you know, excited about rubbing shoulders with or or extending, you know, networking with
2: Yes, I um I am really excited to work with the senator for my district. She and I have worked closely when I was working in the Senate. Um in fact, she was my neighbor when I was working in the Senate. She is fantastic. She's really smart. She under she understands the district like the back of her hand, too. So Um, One of the, um, I'm really grateful for her because she was one of the people that, you know, one of my biggest supporters from the very beginning, even during the primary. And, you know, it takes a lot for her to, you know, endorse the non-incumbent in the race because she herself ran against an incumbent as well in that same district in 2018 and took him out. So I'm excited to work with her on a more on a district level this time. Um, she and I have been crafting red legislation um, all night. One time, and um, we are meeting with constituents. Actually, we're going to meet with some of them this Saturday in the district. In terms of house co- house colleagues, I would say that I'm really excited to work with. Um, my chair for the Committee on Health, Human Services, and Homelessness, which is um, Rep. Ryan Yamane. I'm also excited to work with the other freshman legislators that were um, elected with me. Um, Of that class, we have a um, health policy expert. We have a former legislator. We have a diplomat we have a Miss Hawaii, we have a um, former city council member, a and a budget analyst, and, and a lawyer, a civil rights attorney. And, and um, the fun thing I like to tell everyone about this class is that um, six out of eight of us are under the age of 40, which is a very young class. And I'm really inspired by that. I'm really happy to see that because I really want our capital to start looking like the general populace of the state. I want I want more um, LGBT folks in here, more women, more la- non-lawyers, more people under the age of 40. And I would love to see people that, you know, are part of the um, disabled, body groups, disabled individuals groups here. You know, I'll, I just want as many perspectives as I can in this building because it will help us do our job better.
0: So where did your interest in politics come from? Did you, were you as a child interested in politics? Were your parents, you know, talking about it at home a lot? I mean, or did this develop for you in or after college? Where did this come from?
2: You know, I was always interested in politics. I thought it was interesting to look at policy and to see what changes um, can be made. I've always been interested since I was a young kid. I never just, I didn't think that I would ever run. Um, When I graduated college, I was planning on, you know, working at my mom's real estate business and then going to law school after that, after taking a year off. But I ended up working for a um, house member here for about four months as a temp job and i kind of fell in love with that so i started working on campaigns and this was 2016 so that that was when donald trump was coming on and when donald trump was elected so was um, my former boss so i started he hired me on as his office manager and i worked for him for three years and it was like, you know it had a lot to do with Donald Trump. Donald Trump really did inspire me to really invest a career in politics because he's just one man that is that I know is going to just rewind all the progress that we've made, and it's going to take a lot of work to restore us back to normalcy and then bettering the lives of the American people again. So that was kind of where my interest in politics came from.
1: You know, it's it's interesting. We've done, as John mentioned in the very beginning, over 300 programs since COVID-19. And and obviously we knew, you know, it's coming into an election year. Many of the folks that we interviewed when we we talked about, you know, why they were running or why they got engaged, they did point out that, you know, Donald Trump was someone who really not, not the word is not inspired them, but really got them going to get active because they wanted to make a difference. And so it's interesting when you look at like the 2018 midterm elections, you look at, you know, the 2020 election and the results, um, especially looking at down ballots and folks across the country. I mean, we can say that there is a growing number of, of diversity or diverse candidates lots of people who are different running. I mean, you said it yourself to NBC news, there was once upon a time in which, you know, a candidate like yourself could not win, um, mm-hmm. you know, an election, right? And so the question is really, if you feel like part of the work that we have to do to get back to what is normal, um, is it a lot of work or do we have hope that, you know, so many more of us will continue to be engaged uh, and so many more folks will continue to vote. And, you know, especially younger voters. Uh, we'd love to hear your perspective because you obviously speak for you know y- younger generations that many people in the media tend to stereotype, right? Like and and kind of miss the, the the ball when we're having a whole conversation about politics.
2: It's going to take a lot of work to return to normal. But I also remind everyone that you know normal isn't good enough um people were still struggling when president obama was president and you know it was definitely a lot less but people were still struggling and we've made a lot of progress during the obama years and i'm hoping that we can get back to that and build on it that's why i'm really hopeful for president joe biden Um, he wants to revisit the Affordable Care Act to try to improve it so that it works for more people. Um, he's thinking about canceling student loan debt. And he's making some of the right cabinet position picks, in my opinion, people who have experience, who can return us back to normalcy. At the same time, we're also electing people like Corey Bush and um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Congress to try to you know, improve and hold people accountable. I just, um, I'm just really thrilled and I hope that more people get involved with politics. You don't have to be an elected official to make change. You can just intern for a Congressman or a Senator. Um, I'll tell you a story, which is um, the process of banning conversion therapy in Hawaii. Um, banning conversion therapy, it was introduced by a senator, my senator, but you know, it was a lot of activists, it was a lot of people coming together, and we pushed the legislature to to start banning it. And we just kept going at it, and kept going at it, going at it, and we finally did it. And I said, Wow, look, it took two years. And I talked to one of the activists, and they said, No, it took six years. So you don't have to be an elected official to spark change. You just have to go out there, participate in a protest, um, write to your congressman or woman, volunteer or intern or get a job at the state capitol. I recently hired someone who lives in my district and, you know, he doesn't have a background in politics, but, he is really eager to gain some experience and to learn about it and to try to make change happen because he too wants to improve the state. And normally new people like me, we would hire some people that are more experienced, but he gave the best interview. So we took him on. And I think that he's going to do great in our office.
0: One thing we've heard time and again is that people from underrepresented backgrounds, whether women, racial minorities, LGBTQ, et cetera, have been reticent to seek office um, or have been unsuccessful in the early rounds because they didn't have the support network or they didn't think they would be welcomed. So a two-part question is, what was your support network like, and how did the party accept you, especially having you know, taken on an incumbent Democrat?
2: Well, my support network started off with my family, so I have to thank them very much for all the sacrifice that they've given me. But um, the my support network came from close friends, and you know, at the beginning, we didn't have you know much support because we were considered the underdog. And how um, races go, as you may know, is they bet on who's really going to win in the primary. You know, a lot of people threw their bets in the opposite direction, but the first um, big endorsement came from um, Victory Fund, which was the um, national LGBTQ organization that supports LGBT candidates. And when their endorsement came then came um, ILW, which is the largest private sector union in Hawaii. And after that, we had the teachers union jump in to support us. And then the Sierra Club. And then we had Children's Action Network, Pono Hawaii Initiative. And then when we um, then we got the Carpenters Union to come support us. And um, the senator for this district has been very supportive for us for the very beginning. She's been coaching me, she's been talking to me very inspiring so that was my support network it was a crescendo of good things leading up to the primary and um towards the end of the primary we were no longer considered the underdogs and people were surprised we would have been surprised if we lost is what people were saying and we ended up eking out a victory and when we after we eked out a victory you know the primary was over and we came together and the party, you know, welcomed me with open arms. The party chair is actually a good friend of mine, um, Tyler Dos Santos Tam. He, no relation. He is also um, part of the LGBTQ plus community. So, um, of course, they welcomed me. They offered me a lot of help. And the leadership in this body has been so welcoming as well, because I told them that, you know, I'm eager to learn. I want to make change and I hope that you know they can mentor me so that we can reform our government and I think they have the same sentiments and they have the um same perspectives as well the idea of reforming government too.
1: Speaking of the Democratic Party um you know more again more candidates like yourself who are running and uh uh, maybe have, you know, new emerging ideas, different ideas, not necessarily doing things that the established um, candidates have been doing or the longer, you know, elected po- politicians in our party, or I'm sorry, in the Democratic <laughs> National Party, uh, you know, have been doing it. And so I, I would love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I just listened to President Obama kind of give, you know, not a lecture, but a statement and his thoughts about some of the younger serving uh, Democratic uh, elected leaders, such as the squad, and kind of criticize a little bit about, you know, their stance on like something such as defunding, you know, police. And so the, the, the heart of the question is really about, you know, um, you've done it successfully by showing that voters care about, you know, change in, in your district, your state, that maybe we need to really have a coming together, you know, other Democrats, long-serving Democrats, and understanding that, change may be good. Um, your thoughts on, you know, bringing the party together.
2: Yeah, you know, we have to embrace change. That was what President Obama ran on in 2008. It was the Hope and Change campaign. It's inspiring. And I, it goes back to what I said, you know, going back to normal, getting back to normal, that's not good enough. We have to fundamentally bring change that will benefit everyone in this country. So, I hope that both sides, whether you are a new Democrat eager to make change or you're one of the um, tr- traditional liberalists who you know want to take things slow and carefully, I think that you know there's somewhere in the middle where we can both meet and come together. And I'm not necessarily saying make compromises, but come to an understanding of what needs to be done and how we're going to approach it. I am often um, disappointed by the partisan gridlock in Congress right now. I don't have anything against Republicans. Um, I do, however, have, um, you know, questionable some of the things that some Trump Republicans have said, and but you know, all ideas are welcome. It's a matter of, you know, debating them and, you know, trying to make a difference on how we're going to improve our country. And, you know, in the upcoming session, I think that for us at least, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions that are going to be made. And we're going to be on Zoom calls like this for hours yelling at each other. But at least, in my opinion, we're talking about them and we're not ignoring it and putting pushing it to the side. So those are my thoughts on that.
0: Uh, Hawaii Public Radio did a story on the November elections Um, that saw trends in Hawaii that mirrored what we're seeing here in California, you know, both very blue States. um, And Democrats performed well in both States, but there was no so-called, you know, blue tsunami. Um, And like here in California, we also saw a number of our statewide referendums that uh, did not go the way you would have expected in a a strongly blue year. So um, kind of what you're talking about, about being able, you know, the, different factions being able to talk to each other and try to come up with something does seem to to be something that uh, is a good skill for politicians and non-politicians these days to have or else we're all just kind of in our own little you know echo chamber screaming at it ourselves um could you talk a bit more about district 22 the district you represent i mean you've mentioned a bit about it i mean has this you, know, you mentioned that it's it's got a, a fairly large LGBTQ uh, population has it always been a fairly liberal po- district I mean we talk about San Francisco's Castro district and that used to be a conservative you know Italian American district so tell us a little bit about the area you represent and, and uh, you know how you do it
2: yeah so the district is fairly liberal um, it was a it was represented by a Republican. In the past up until 2006 i think it was represented by a republican and um he was a very moderate republican too as a matter of fact um he's one of my <laughs> friends and um, we spoke at length during the campaign too so, but as you see with trends uh the district is very liberal um i'll tell you a story which is that when donald trump came to visit hawaii he stayed in that district at the ritz carlton and what happened was that all the residents came out and booed him from their balconies and um so it's been trending um bluer and bluer and bluer throughout the years But mostly the people in the district whether they're republicans or democrats they they care about kitchen table issues that matter to them they want to you know fight for more initiatives to help the homelessness off the streets they are concerned about the cost of living Um, noise pollution whether it's leaf blowers or mopeds or sirens going off it's these little issues that you know affect them more than the controversial ones up in Washington, DC. And those are the kind of issues that I talked about throughout the campaign. Because, you know, I didn't want to make this a real partisan race as as, uh, my opponent wanted it to be. Because that doesn't help my district. That doesn't fix the sidewalk in front of, um, the building up on Namahana, or um, it doesn't solve the leaf blower disputes between two condominiums in my district. So I I do see a trend in the district moving towards a more blue district. The district has voted for Hillary Clinton overwhelmingly and um, Joe Biden as well, but it can easily go to a Republican if I start focusing on really divisive national issues that no one cares about in the district, and if a Republican comes along and talk about the same issues that I talked about during the campaign.
1: You mentioned the support of your family and uh, how grateful you know you were. Um, would love to hear you know what your parents' re- response was. You winning this election and kind of. You know what life has been like your the relationship with your parents since your big win
2: um my family have a, and I have a very close relationship. so they were there from the very beginning they um they made phone calls, they talked to their neighbors. they were hustling just like me um they wouldn't they would never walk past anyone without talking to them about our campaign in the district. And whenever they're in the elevator, they would, you know, always wear my mask or my t-shirt and they would talk to whoever is in the elevator and get them to vote for me. So I think they won me the election,
1: too. because
2: <laughs> we won by so little. So we won the primary, won by a little bit. And, you know, in a way I'm happy that we won by a little bit so that everyone kind of feels like they have played a part in this victory.
1: I mean, just being, sorry John. I was just going to add to that. And being a you know a, a, an Asian, you know, person myself and my and knowing that um, you know, my parents who had immigrated here, I mean winning an election like yours, making history like a big deal. Should probably drive their car around the block telling everybody what just happened and who I am. Um, and just wondering if you wanted to share any, you know, cult, special cultural stories for many other uh, API folks out there who look up to you and who are saying like, wow, you know, one day I'm, I'm going to be a, the, the next representative Adrian Tam.
2: Yeah, I do, <laughs> I do. You know how a lot of, well, you will know, Michelle, uh, our parents like to brag, about what their kids are doing, right? So, um, you know, I made a joke that the entire country of Taiwan knows my name. And I think that resonates with a lot of kids, you know, um, but in a way that doesn't matter to me as much as it matters to my parents, because I got into this not because of power or, just to be an elective official. I got into this because I really want to change and reform our government and to make a difference in my community. And to anyone who wants to run, I just have to say, go for it. Um, don't do it just to make your parents proud or that don't do it just because your parents brag about someone else's kid in front of you. Do it because you are passionate about something. And you want to make a difference and it doesn't have to be politics it could be you know doing something you love painting or something you know just go for it but do it for yourself not for your parents
0: and what was it like doing the campaign during an era of COVID I mean you, you mentioned the masks and things did you do any door-to-door um, did you hold any public events um, and was it frustrating or was it fun to do it in, in different ways than maybe t- t- traditional campaigns? You know, we don't have to do something new. So,
2: um, we, it was a bit frustrating at times because we couldn't go door to door from the very beginning. I made around two thousand over 2,000 phone calls from my little cell phone over here. And You know, I tell people I'm deaf in my left ear because of all those phone calls. And each one of those phone calls, I sometimes speak to a constituent for about an hour. But I would give them my time and that's what I really enjoyed. Um, Another thing that we did that was more visible was that we, I did go door to door when it became a little bit more safe. And I would lit drop and I would talk through people's windows and I would yell through their door to talk to them. Sometimes, occasionally, they'll come out of the door and talk to me personally. But, you know, most of the time, it would just be through their doors. Um, the other thing I would do is I'll walk the district and I will talk to anyone who I see is out because I say that if you're out, they're free game, they're fair game. Um, They can't tell me that, you know, I can't talk to them because we're in a pandemic when they're outside. And in Hawaii, this is different from a lot of other states, and I'm pretty sure you've seen it, too. We have this thing called sign waving, where you stand out on the street corner of a busy busy intersection with your campaign sign and just wave at cars. Have you guys heard of that? You guys have, huh? Yeah, we did. So that was really fun um it's a tradition in Hawaii and it's the best way for like new candidates to get their name out because when people drive by they see your name and they go home and google it so that was kind of like the campaign experience during COVID-19 that and mailers as well
0: yeah
1: as we wind down on time um you know I think it we we I think I want to focus on just getting to, uh, get to, getting to know you a little bit more because I'm pretty sure going forward, m- much of what we're going to read about you will be all the great stuff that you're doing, all, all the great work. Um, and so favorite food?
2: Um, I'm going to say fried rice. Yeah. Right? Because you can. there's like so many fry, different types of fried rice and it's something I'll never get sick of.
1: Hmm. Okay. When the moment that we could, uh, you know, get together again and be dancing on uh, the dance floor somewhere, what song would you would we find you, you know, bopping to?
2: Well, it, um, I'm very, very mellow. So you you will catch me at Lure's Lounge up at the Halekulani in Hawaii. Um. Just. Chilling and bopping my head to some Frank Sinatra.
1: I was going to say maybe swaying more than bopping, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> John, you have some fun questions to get to know Representative Tam. Well,
0: in fact, some one of our audience members asks uh, how you ended up uh, going to Penn. Was it Penn State? How did you pick that out of all the schools to go to?
2: Um. Good question, actually.
0: I always wanted to
2: go to the East Coast for college. Um, I wanted to experience snow. And I wanted to get as far away from my family as possible. <laughs> so um, I wasn't smart enough to get into Harvard or Columbia. And I was like, you know, Penn State's a really good school. I Googled them i did my research i love their programs i um you know knew some people that are going to go there as well so i said you know what i'm going to go to penn state because if something frustrating happens i can at least vent to those people that are my
1: friends okay what are you currently binging on uh netflix
2: Ooh, um nothing actually i am re-watching the the Futurama um, series on Hulu Uh, it's a really good show they call it a comedy but it has made me cry many times Mm. so yeah Futurama
1: okay this is the defining question for me if you'll uh, be my favorite new elected leader or not have you seen Tiger King?
2: yes I have (laughs) Yes, I have. That was, that was such a trip. I, um, I remember watching Tiger King and, you know, of all the things that was going on in, um, Tiger King, I was extremely appalled by the pizza, um, clip in Tiger King. I was just like, Ew, this is disgusting. <laughs> It's so bad that, I like, you know, I texted my campaign manager and she's like, that's the only thing that you're appalled by? And I'm like, yes.
0: <laughs> John? Um, lots of nice uh, messages people are posting on the YouTube chat uh, congratulating you. Uh, one person wrote, I am sending the link to this video to a guy in Africa who thinks Trump is just what America needs. It has been difficult trying to be patient with him. Hopefully he'll listen to this intelligent young man. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, And someone else asked what you think about the, because we were talking earlier about this, you know, moving, people say in California, moving to uh, uh, Hawaii. So they were specifically asking what you thought about the movers and shakers program uh, in Hawaii. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on that.
2: You know, if you're going to move to Hawaii, I don't have any problem with that, but Do so knowing that, you know, you want to live in Hawaii permanently. You want to establish roots in Hawaii and be a part of our community. Don't just move here just because it's paradise and then leave when it's convenient for you.
0: Okay. So I've never been to Hawaii. I would love to say post pandemic, I get two weeks. I'm going to stay somewhere in Waikiki. What should I do the first day when I step out of my hotel front door? Where should I go? Where should I eat? Where should I shop? What should I do?
2: Ooh, good question. I think that you should definitely go to a really nice coffee shop up at the Equus Hotel. Um, that's one of my favorite coffee shops out there. Um, you can also hike Diamond Head. It is a very easy hike that um, a lot of people do. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's great views at the top. And if you want to get something to eat, I highly recommend going to um, Basalt Restaurant, um, Pania Bistro, Tango, um, Scratch. And if you want something sweet, I recommend Purvey Donuts, Leonard's Bakery.
1: All this talk of food is making me hungry. Um, so it's perfect timing we've we've run out of time I think the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, you are doing great things even helping out other elections such as the Georgia runoffs do you want to take a, a second before we let you go to chat about that
2: yes you know one thing the reason why I'm pushing the Georgia runoff's it's because there's a lot at stake and we can do so much if we win those two elections. We could pass the Voting Rights Act, which is something that I definitely care about. We can finally pass some campaign reform. We can nominate some good judges to counter Donald Trump's bad judges. So it matters. I I saw an Instagram comment that says that it was shameful of me to fundraise for someone that I barely even know. Well, you know, I did my research on them. They're, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are two very, very highly intelligent, caring people that would do great things, not only for Georgia, but for this country as well. I wouldn't fundraise for just anyone. And for those things that I said earlier, they matter for the people. They matter for people like you, and they matter for people like me. We have to win this election because we cannot afford not to not win this election like like again the voting rights act that voting the voting rights act used to be something that is non-partisan where everyone came to a consensus on but it became very partisan when more racial rhetoric out there came brewing after president obama's election where the republicans started not to support it so If you live in Georgia, please get out the vote and tell all your neighbors to vote as well.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Representative Tam, for joining us here and sharing an hour. Congratulations on your election again. You make us proud and uh, can't wait to see you in action. John.
0: I'll just have the final words, also adding my thanks to Representative Tam, and of course to Michelle Miao, and from everyone else here at the Commonwealth Club, thank you for watching us today, please share this video and the podcast, and uh, find out more about our upcoming and our past programs at commonwealthclub.org, if you want to see what Michelle Miao has coming up, commonwealthclub.org slash MMS, have a great rest of your week, and a great weekend folks, stay safe and healthy.